0: Amen. What a lovely song it is. And uh, we look forward to learning that one. John, thanks for leading us as you do. Um, so very very well with uh, all the songs that we sing now I just want to try and remind everybody that uh, church meeting together here as we are this morning it's not some club that we're a member of and it's got some sort of uh, scale fee that we pay to come to be part of this club you know and if you haven't got any money well you don't put anything in the offering if you're a bit better off you can put lots of money in the offering and it just depends what it is what the position is that you're in life but you know that's how some people seem to think that church is We're not like Germans, for example. Every German man is a member of a club. Uh, Lots of them are members of the Mercedes-Benz Worshipping Club. And every Sunday morning, they don't go to church. They go outside to the front of the house with a bucket and a sponge, and they polish the idol. They wash it and make sure it glitters and it shines, because that's what they do. That's the club that they're part of. That's the way that they worship. But no, 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 no. We're not the members of a club. You see, the Church of Jesus Christ is supernatural, It has to be. Think about it. Where has it come from? Throughout all these uh, thousands, the last 2,000 years, here we are, and we've got this commonality, this thread that has kept us together throughout all this period of time. How do we become part of the church of Jesus Christ? Remember, we don't come to church. We belong to church, at least we should be. And that's why I always get a bit worried when some people you know, don't turn up very often. And when you talk to them, they say, well, you know, I, I like to come to church. But we should be a, we're part of the church. We belong to a church. We belong to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we are here this morning. And how did that happen? It happened by a miracle. It's happened because something has taken place in our heart and in our life that has totally transformed us, changed us, so that we can become part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that miracle taking place in your heart, you can't be part of the body. Now, I know some of you are a bit shocked to hear that, and you've been thinking for the past, I don't know, a few decades or whatever it is in your life, that you just got to turn up, do the right thing, say the right thing, sit in the right seat. That's my seat, and someone else is sat in it when you come in. How could that possibly happen? But that's nothing to do with it. It's a miracle that takes place. And that miracle is the fact that Jesus comes into our hearts. And the first job he does is turn around and he bars that door closed. Turns the lock. Nails bits of wood across it if you like. And he says, I'm not leaving. I'm here to stay. You've got me for life. Because... I'm yours and you're mine. You belong to me. And that is what makes the church miraculous. So if you get the temptation to think that it's some sort of club you're turning up for, forget about it. That's not what we're here for. We're here because we belong to Jesus. The narrative of the Bible, I guess, could really be told by the story of two cities We spoke about this at the men's fellowship a little bit. And the two cities that are in question, of course, is the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. When you go right from the beginning of the scriptures right to the very end, you discover that there's this narrative that speaks about Babylon and it speaks about Jerusalem. Now, why is this of any interest? Well, we're going to find out this morning. But we discover, for example, that if you turn to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8, we find this verse, and I think uh, there's about five or six other mentions of Babylon in the book of Revelation. And, of course, Babylon is mentioned right back in Genesis. So there's the theme from the beginning of the Scriptures right to the very end. But Revelation 14, verse 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we know, as we understand the scriptures very clearly, that Babylon is not a good place. But too many of us are quite content to dabble with Babylon. Uh, When you read the prophet Jeremiah, uh, poor Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a Babylon complex, didn't he? He spoke, and I think he mentioned Babylon more than 160 times in his prophecy that uh, he had presented. And he keeps saying the wrong thing to the king who speaks to him. The king wants to hear that everything's going to be fine. And Jeremiah says, No, it's not. Because the way you're living means that Babylon is going to invade and take over. And we're going to be carried off into exile. And Jeremiah tries so graciously to explain, he says it very, very clearly, but all the time he says the wrong thing, King Zedekiah constantly asks him, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah always says the wrong thing, and the king's sort of thinking to himself, when are you going to say the right thing, Jeremiah? It's time that you say that something different's going to happen. But uh, for example, Jeremiah 37:17, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of babylon jeremiah ends up being thrown in a pit it's got a muddy bottom to it and he sinks uh, up to his waist or up to his neck in mud and he's left there to die but eventually he's pulled out they place rags under his arms and they put a rope around him and they pull and you can imagine sort of all of a sudden hearing this as he sucked out of the mud and he's thinking to himself well that was a close call you know who wants to be stuck in the the muddy pit But again, that's a picture of many of our lives, isn't it? We've allowed ourselves to sink into the mire and the mud of the world. Perhaps it's sort of gone up to our toes, our ankles, and we haven't really noticed. And then all of a sudden, we try and take a step for the Lord one day, and instead of moving forward, we fall flat on our faces because our feet no longer work as they should do. We're no longer able to walk as we should do, and we discover that the mire has... uh, Has come in around us. So what has Babylon got to do with speaking in tongues? That's a pretty good question really, isn't it? What has Babylon got to do with speaking in tongues? Because we're going to be talking about uh, the subject of uh, speaking in tongues. And i just got to make a note here. Because we've just got to stop for a moment. I have become increasingly... um, Saddened, um, surprised, concerned by the fact that when I speak to people within our own fellowship, it is quite apparent that many of us have come from backgrounds where there has been precious little teaching about the work and person of the Holy Spirit I've sensed this during the course of the last few weeks and if you remember we've been been looking at this subject and we've been hitting it from lots of different angles you can sort of look at this glass of water and we can see it from on the top underneath from each side and we've been coming at this from different uh, angles to try and understand and we've recognized that the Christian life cannot be lived in and of our own strength we try many of us try there's lots of people that try all over the world there are churches full of people who are trying that particular technique to be able to do it but it doesn't work it can feel good sometimes and yet all of a sudden things become horrible again and we discover that we've got no foundation the rock that we're built on is not in fact it's miry and we're sinking and i've discovered that that there are people when i sort of talk about the work and person of the holy spirit and they say yeah and I said, well, what, what do we mean by that? And they said, yeah. I said, well, come on, we've got to have a bit more depth here than this. Well, what, what, what do we mean by this? And the concept of the Holy Spirit living and working within us is one that has become anathema to so many people, and we've discovered it. And dare I say it, um, uh, we have quite a lot of people that have come from a Reformed church background here this morning. We've got quite a few folks from a Mennonite background here this morning. And One of the things that we need to, and, and other backgrounds, of course, don't, don't feel you know, isolated in, in that sense whatsoever. But one of the things that I've discovered, I mean, talking to my dear wife, bless her, she can remember a, a sermon on the Holy Spirit in her growing up. And how is that possible? Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't see that we are miraculously brought into this supernatural thing called the Church of Jesus Christ. It is supernatural, it's not something that you can do in your own mind. I want to be part of this church. You know, you can attend it, but you'll never belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And so we have to recognize that there is a massive amount of work that we need to do. Now, some of us here have been brought up in churches where there was, and we're grateful for this, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And we can look back and we can think to pastors who are concerned to help us to understand that... As you received Christ, so walk in him. Okay, how did we receive Christ? We received it. It was all of him. He came into our hearts and lives. He did it all for us. And so that's as we received him, so we walk in him. I can't, he can. And that's the blessing that we need to understand so clearly here this morning. But we look back and we can think and I can remember... Um, the pastor of uh, the church that, uh, that I grew up in, um, it started as a, dare I say it, relatively Calvinistic Baptist churches, but then uh, that's what churches were uh, so often um, at that time in, uh, in the wrong sense. And, uh, and I remember on the occasion when uh, there had been a very, very lovely message that he had preached. It moved people. People cried in the congregation because they realized that they had thought they belonged to Jesus, but they suddenly realized they didn't. And there were tears that were shed because the Holy Spirit was moving and was working, but there was a sense of fear that was taking place as well because people hadn't seen some of these things happening before. And what it was, it was revival that was being poured into the hearts and lives of people, and suddenly they were confronted with the, the sinfulness of their own sin. And they were confronted with the beauty and the joy that there is only available in knowing Jesus. And confessing sin and coming to Him and seeing His Holy Spirit working in their lives and in their hearts. And it was a great joy to be able to see that. So what's the link between Babylon and the city of Jerusalem. What has Babylon got to do with speaking in tongues? Well, please bear with me, and I hope that we'll be able to bring this link together and be able to see it quite clearly. We have to go back to Genesis chapter 11 uh, to be able to see the comparison that takes place with the section of Scripture that we'll just read together. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we'll read uh, from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. We've been talking about that during the course of the last uh, few weeks. Uh, They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem at that time Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred and the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these men speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them each in our own language, in which we were born, our mother tongue, in other words, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God so they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another whatever could this mean others mockingly said they're full of wine but Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you And heed my words for these men are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day We'll call it 9 a.m. in the morning But this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel The church is not a club Something supernatural took place at its inception at its beginning And it still requires miracles to belong to the church and that miracle takes place in each of our hearts and lives without exception, no exceptions. What a beautiful section of scripture that is that we have read together. So when we go back to Genesis chapter 11, and we'll refer to that in just a moment, we discover the account of a certain city that was being built, and in the middle of that city was a tower. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're talking about Babel, or Babel, and uh, Babel, I believe, and uh, maybe Jacqueline here can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Babel is the Hebrew for Babylon, and Babylon is the Greek. There's uh, one commentary I looked up indicated that anyway. But I understand that there is nobody who would ever suggest that Babel and Babylon are not one in the same. doesn't matter if you're a historian, biblically minded or not. We recognize that the location, the name, the inference, and so on, is that they are the same so we have Jerusalem and we have Babylon and we see in both of these cities the gift of tongues being shown and being imparted to people and in one city it's a curse and in the other city it's a blessing Now maybe you've never considered what took place at Babylon to be tongues before, but it was. When we look at the comparison between the two, we see many important correlations and similarities. So going back to Genesis 11... Uh, we discover very clearly that uh, at that time everybody spoke English and there was no problems when it came to building the city of uh, Babylon and the tower that was being presented. Now, of course, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I don't suppose for one moment it was that they were speaking English. And then suddenly we discover that uh, different languages appear. And if you've ever wondered how the European Union hangs together, it's because they all use English as the language to help them to be able to bind it together. And I think they're a bit disappointed because the only properly English-speaking country left the European Union, but we've been able to leave our legacy of our language, and you discover that uh, it's that uh, thing that keeps it together. But everybody spoke the common language, a common language. Life was simple. Life was straightforward. And the men of Babylon came together and they said this, come, let us uh, build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now doesn't that ring some bells in society today? Let's make a name for ourselves. and That's what we mustn't do, isn't it? As a fellowship, as a church, it's it's not our name that we're going to lift up high. It is always the name of God. Men are becoming proud and they want to rise up and they want to become like God and there's nothing new under the sun. So what we actually have here from a historical perspective is what's called a ziggurat. Uh, Not necessarily trying to reach the throne of God, but rather they're hoping that if they can build this ziggurat tower high enough and then on the top of it they will put some sort of shrine or an altar uh, to a god or to a goddess and they're hoping that because of what they've done the god in the heaven will come down to them that's in a sense what is taking place And the word babel means the gate of the gods but what happened in jerusalem We see the opposite. But here in Babylon, we see that indeed the Lord Jesus did come down to them. And he looks around the city and he hears what's going on. And he sees the tower which is being built. He sees the tower which the sons of men are building. And the Lord Jesus says, Indeed, the people are one, they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scatters them abroad over the face of the earth and they cease building the temple. They cease building the tower. Because God did come down. And he did speak, and he did make his mind known. And for them, the gift of tongues was a curse. The gift of tongues brought confusion, brought confusion to the people. And the gift of tongues did exactly what God had ordained that it would do. They stopped building the tower But in Jerusalem, on the early morning of the 25th of May in about AD 33, we know it was before 9 a.m. because Peter tells us something absolutely incredible happened. A miracle takes place. Lots of miracles take place, in fact. And it's this, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the apostles and those of the other believers that are there, about 120 of them in all. And the gift of tongues was imparted, was given, was manifested And here that we see that as the gift of tongues comes to this group of people that it is a great blessing and it's a great encouragement and it's something which is totally, totally different because the church had to be different. It had to be supernatural. And this is the birth of the church. And what a way that it starts. Something incredible happening. You know, I've been here in Canada now for 13 years and I'm still learning Canadian let alone any other language that I would try and learn. You see, what took place was miraculous. It wasn't something that they could do. Can you speak Russian? No. Can you speak any other language? Uh, Hungarian. Hungarian, okay. Hungarian's meant to be, I think, one of the hardest languages in the world to learn. So, uh, Flory, what a great man to meet, you know. And some of us can speak English and some of us can speak Dutch and German and French and so on. But the reality is is that what took place here is that all these 17 different ethnic groups that are spoken of heard things being spoken in their own language and they can't understand what's going on. And they can't appreciate that this is miraculous. This is God pouring out His Spirit on these people. And the gift of tongues brought enormous clarity to the people who heard in their own language the wonderful works of God. They couldn't be mistaken because they heard it. And the gift of tongues brought the building of the church of Jesus Christ. And here we are today because the church was built against all the odds the church is being built just as Jesus said it would. And he said, no one's going to stand in my way and to this day nobody stands in the way when jesus when god builds his church he builds it and it continues to be built and the ussr couldn't stop it covid couldn't stop it nothing can stop it because it's supernatural because this is god building his church and he takes these these strange living stones some of us, different shapes and sizes, different colors. And he takes us and he works a miracle in his heart and he builds his church. And somehow we all fit together and we complement each other and we support each other. And that's a miracle in itself because, you know, when we meet each other, sometimes we think there's no way I'll ever get on with this person. And yet God takes us and he molds us and he shapes us together and these living stones are built up and it's exciting Babylon tongues was a curse Jerusalem tongues brought blessing beyond measure now if you've been with us as I've said in recent weeks you'll know that we've been looking increasingly at this early book this early, these early chapters of, of, uh, of Acts And we've sort of been stuck on the question of what is a true believer? And there are some of us that are still struggling with that question. What is a true believer? Sometimes we feel we've got close and then suddenly it all seems to drift away. And we're still asking what is it that makes the difference in our hearts and in our lives? And it's not religion. You know, if you're religious, you might as well pack up and go now because we're really not interested in religion. But what we are interested in and what each one of us is interested in is that relationship with Jesus. Because it's only our relationship with him that saves us. It's only our relationship with him that saves our marriages. It's only our relationship with him that enables us to live a life that brings glory to his name and that encourages other people. And suddenly we discover that all the problems and pains and difficulties of this world are dealt with because of a relationship with Jesus. And when the going gets tough, that relationship says, it's okay, I'm here, I'm living my life in you. It's that relationship with him. So a true believer is somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. This question is imperative because if you don't have that relationship with jesus in other words he living in you by the power of the holy spirit i've got to say this to you and it might sound harsh you'll never understand what we're talking about this morning you'll never begin to understand and what we're going to talk about next week and then charles is going to come and and uh, uh, and bring the gospel for uh, for the following week and then we're going to come back to this subject because we have to there's so much of it that we need to be able to understand but 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 if you haven't got that relationship first of all you'll never grasp it it'll be meaningless to you so i urge you with all my heart again this morning relationship with jesus call to him for salvation repent of your sin open the door of your heart and he will come in just as uh, peter um, and if you want to get more detail on that this evening, come along, because uh, somebody said to me on the phone earlier this, this week, you know, we've got to cle- preach the gospel so that we can all understand. Now, I had thought we'd been doing that, but we've <laughs> we're going to go through it very, very clearly this evening, forensically, okay? So if you want to know what the gospel is, and you're not sure, then this evening, come along, because we're, we're going to give the, the understanding that we're in that crowd, and Pilate stands up and he says, okay, chaps, customary, I'm going to release one of these bad guys to you. Who do you want it to be? And shock horror, they go for the guy who's the murderer. Shock horror, they go for the guy who's caused all the trouble, who's caused all the difficulties, whose insurrection has caused enormous problems for people because the crowd shout out, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Can you imagine that? The prince of life. Crucify him, but you know, if you were in the crowd, what would you have shouted? Would you have dared to have shout, shouted, Lord, save me? Save me? So the verdict is ours, and this evening we'll discover that in, uh, in a little more detail. <laughs> As you received Christ, so walk in him. Wow. We looked for the last two weeks, if you remember, at the first half of, uh, of verse 4 of chapter 2. And the first half of verse 4 of chapter 2 of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, was the words, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw the great unity that that brings. And then we began to speak, uh, sorry, and then the second half is uh, the the part that we're beginning to look at now for the next little while. Because uh, the verse, the second half goes on and says, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them, all of them began to speak in these other tongues. That was other languages. We're very clear that we understand what it is that was happening here. It wasn't a strange, unheard-of language. It was clearly languages that people understood as the Spirit enabled them. And, of course, this is not normal. This is supernatural, Now this event was not unique in the book of Acts to the day of Pentecost. Something similar occurs at least on two other occasions in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And we see the first one in in Acts chapter 10 when the Roman centurion Cornelius, who was the first Gentile to become a Christian, And as he began to seek after God, and we know that the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter, and Peter says, you know, I've got to go and see this guy, and so he takes some friends and off they go to see him. Uh, And I suppose visiting a Roman centurion wasn't the first thing on one's bucket list to do uh, shortly after the uh, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and everything that was taking place. And Peter came to his home with some of his friends, and Peter preaches the gospel. That's very, very clear what has happened. And the Holy Spirit came on them and Cornelius and those with him, we're told, they also began to speak in tongues. In fact, it was the evidence to the Jews who were with Peter that the Holy Spirit had indwelt these Gentiles in the same way that he'd indwelt them, uh, uh, the Jewish people at Pentecost. You see, tongues was bringing people together again. And it says that the Jewish believers, and I have to just point that out to you, notice the word believers. It says that the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on even the Gentiles. Now, uh, I was young but i can remember this it's weird so i need you to try and picture the scene okay um i've got little shorts on i wasn't very old seven or eight years old something like that and uh right up in northern nigeria i It's sandy everywhere when you when you eat anything it would crunch You know what what going to the beach and having a sandwich is like and there's sand in it And it only takes a couple of grains of sand and you know, it's there. Isn't it amazing how sensitive? uh, We are our palates are and so this is right up. It's sand and uh, The Fulani people are animist They're pagans they sacrifice animals they sacrifice children in a, in in a certain way to appease their gods and i remember that uh, my f- my father had taken me uh, because there was some big thing taking place and he had, and the the other men from the church from kokin which was the church of christ in nigeria and they'd gone because they knew that there was a big pagan uh, ritual taking place and they went to share the gospel. And those were in the days in northern Nigeria when it was safe uh, to take your son to something like that. Now with Boko Haram and all the problems going on, it's not a safe place. And uh, I remember saying, Dad, what are, they, what are they all shouting and screaming? And he said, it's Babel. It doesn't mean anything. It's tongues, it's strange, but it isn't from God. It's not from the Holy Spirit. So what we discover here is that when we come to start talking about the gift of tongues, we recognize that like everything, Satan takes hold of it and he uses it to his evil intent and purpose. And we see that very clearly. That's why we have to be very cautious and discerning when we hear what is going on. And as we have seen with... um, uh, lots of uh, things. I think even Jesus speaks. Don't, and he says, when you pray, don't, don't babble like pagans. <laughs> okay, Speak clearly. Make sure that people are able to hear and to understand. And so we see that the word believers is referred to here because pagans speak in tongues as well. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, they're an interesting group and they speak in tongues too. But do you know that Seventh-day Adventists have a very poor understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, very, very poor indeed, in fact. They actually will say this, that Christ acquired a sinful nature. No, he didn't. Christ was sinless. Because if he had acquired a sinful nature, how could he die for me to deal with my sin? I couldn't do it. And we also discover that there's other things as well that they will talk about. For example, uh, they do talk about grace, but they talk about the maintaining of grace in our lives by keeping the law. <coughs> so they become legalists, we become legalists, and that's why the seventh day is spoken about um, and held to. Do you know that the seventh day commandment is the only commandment not mentioned in the epistle, in the, in the epistle letters to the church? Not once is it mentioned. Okay, so we begin to see very clearly that lots of Roman Catholics speak in tongues. There's lots of interesting things that are going on. And then later in chapter 19 of the Acts, uh, we discover that Paul, and we've spoken about this because we we, we had to, on his third missionary journey, he comes to Ephesus and he finds these 12 uh, disciples. We can smile a bit about this, but we need to understand how serious it is and and i've got to say friends you might think to yourself well it doesn't happen now but it does and there are some folks here in this fellowship this morning that are the living proof of this and so paul comes up and he meets these 12 guys and and he calls them the disciples but he knows he senses he understands there's a problem and the problem he discovers is by saying do you know the holy spirit is the holy spirit in you I hope you're going to nod and say yes, <laughs> okay. But he talks to them and, and they say, I'm sorry, what, what are you talking about? We've never heard of the Holy Spirit. So we begin to realize that there are serious questions that we need to, uh, to begin to ask. What had happened was that this guy Apollos, uh, had, uh, had known a great deal about what John the Baptist had been teaching and preaching and talking about. But Apollos only knew part of the gospel. He didn't know the full gospel. And then Apollos meets a man called Aquila with his wife Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla lead Apollos into the way of God more fully. And we're told in the scriptures uh, very clearly that they just preach the gospel and explain the work of the Holy Spirit. But in the process, Apollos had left behind him confused people. And there are churches today that are leaving confused people because they're afraid to talk about the work and person of the Holy Spirit. And there's confused people. And so we come, as we obviously believe in systematic theology and preaching, And we look at this. Many preachers would love to avoid talking about the gift of tongues and so on because it saves any difficulties in the church being split and half the congregation going off in one direction and the other half. But we can't do that, nor do we need to, because we know, as we've been studying, that the Holy Spirit never brings division. And so we rejoice in all that he has done for us. So Paul explained to this group, And he laid hands on them and he prayed for them. And it says that when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied, Acts 19, verse 6. Now, those um, are the occasions that are specifically spoken of in the book of Acts. And I think what we're going to do now is just briefly um, turn, and again, if you have your Bible, it would be a good move to open it Somebody said to me, Pastor, you should never say, have you got your Bible? Everybody should have your Bible. Okay, so it's always worth bringing your Bible uh, to church. Why do we do that? Because we've got to make sure that what the preacher's preaching about and saying is from the Bible. And if we don't have a familiarity with the Bible, how can we be sure of that? So what we're going to do is, is, uh, because we haven't made it through (laughs) um, very far of our message this morning, uh, we're going to read this section, and we 're going to call that our introduction um, or the first part of our introduction in in this subject uh, and then and then next week we 'll be able to look at it in just a wee m- more detail because there is so much that we need to to learn here so uh, when we come to um, uh, paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians, we discover that uh, the gift of tongues together with a number of other very very exciting and interesting things was actually causing problems here in the church in Corinth and uh, Paul found himself having to speak to the church uh, and uh, to to bring um, very careful teaching but in doing that has helped us to understand some of the uh, very important things that we need to understand but also some of the things which perhaps we've never really appreciated before and again if you come from certain backgrounds, you'll discover that, uh, so for example, the Reformed Church holds to what's called cessationalism, which is a doctrine, and that doctrine simply states that uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped at the end of what was called the apostolic period. So the apostles came in, they were given special powers, and we don't deny this at all, they were given special powers, special abilities, but then also it wasn't just the apostles, there was this other 120 uh, guys and girls as well they too were brought into this and it's amazing when you begin to sort of see what was taking place but cessationalism means that you believe that the gift of tongues is not to be shown or to be exhibited today in any form and we're going to look at this uh, next week uh, and i think probably the mennonite church are the same i'm not 100 percent sure on that but probably um uh, they uh, they are but if we just turn now and we read these verses from verse six Um, of chapter 14 in 1 corinthians but now brethren if i come to you speaking with tongues what shall i profit you unless i speak to you either by revelation by knowledge by prophecy or by teaching even things without life whether flute or harp when they make a sound unless they make a distinction in the sounds how will it be known what is piped or played for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound who would prepare for battle well it's wonderful isn't it you know if you get the wrong uh trumpet call and the guy plays um retreat instead of advance uh you know you you need to know your trumpet don't you so likewise you also uh, sorry likewise you unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air there are it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance therefore if i do not know the meaning of the language i shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, notice the wording carefully. Zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification. What does the word edification mean? It means building up. Thank you, whoever shouted out. Edification, building up of the church, that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may be interp- uh, that, it, that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified, the other's not built up. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now we drop down to verse 22 and This is where your socks get blown off at this particular moment, okay? Because verse 22 says, Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. And then we go to verse 25. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face he will worship God. And report that God is truly among you. We now go to verse 26. The second half which says. Let all these things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue. Let there be two or at the most three. Each in turn. And let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter. Let him keep silent in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. For God is not the author, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. Um, So again, I would have been... Twelve or thirteen years old, and uh, the pastor of the Baptist Church, little Welsh guy by the name of Selwyn Morgan, never never mess with the Welsh, okay. And again, he preached because the Holy Spirit led him. And this time, at the end of his message, a lady stood up and spoke in tongues. And he graciously sat down. It's the first time I had ever heard (coughs) speaking in tongues. That is the first time anybody in the church had heard speaking in tongues. No idea what the lady said. She stood up and she spoke for a few minutes and then she sat down and there was absolute silence in the church. you could hear the water running through the central heating system but you couldn't hear if anyone was breathing and then another lady stood up and as she began to speak the pastor also stood up and he said madam we will wait for an interpretation to be given for the first tongues And the lady did sit down graciously. Now there was no interpretation given. But the pastor was right to say we will wait for an interpretation to be given. You see, one thing that we need to be aware of is that church is not chaos. You go to some churches and there's footprints on the ceiling because there's chaos in that church. You go to other churches where everybody comes in in a a rigid sort of like military precision and they sit in their seats and then when the pastor announces that the service is over, there's military precision as to how everybody leaves the church. And I think if the Holy Spirit came in and spoilt the precision that was taking place, there'd be really a lot of people that would be upset by that. And I notice at Norwich Baptist Church, there's a bit of a chaos at the end, but everybody's trying to get a cup of tea or to have something to eat. And it's a blessing to see that. But we remember that church is not chaotic. There is order in what takes place. Yes. We allow the Holy Spirit. And this church does that. I pray for it every week. And at the beginning of our service. We pray for the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And it comes. As he works in us. And as he works through us. But Paul would prefer to utter th- five words than 10,000 words that are not understood. And so what we're going to do next week, uh, just to whet your appetite, is, um, is answer the telephone. <laughs> I hope it's not a complaint. <laughs> what we're going to do next week is talk a bit about where uh, tongues, um, uh, because I, I, I think we have to be aware that uh, the last 50 to 70 years have been interesting in the history of of the Church of Jesus Christ. And there have been some things that have happened in that last 50 50 years or so, uh, which basically didn't happen in the previous 1,500 years, 1,600, 1,700 years or more. And so we want to try and begin to understand what it is that has uh, taken place during this time and and what the pentecostal movement is about and what are the differences that have come to play in this and as we do that we begin to understand so i leave this thought with you which is to say that uh, uh i'm not ashamed to say this i'm i am an evangelical i have gotta be honest with you about it okay uh evangelical is a lovely bible word and uh John was an evangelist, and he was known as the evangelist. And uh, the scriptures say that pastors should be able to teach and preach the word and do the work of an evangelist. There's no division of the two. Okay. But during the process, up until about 50 years ago, evangelicals in the main were cessationalist in their viewpoint. That's changed, and now they are in the minority. Okay, And I am not a cessationalist, so I just wanted to clarify that point at this moment. Okay, uh, Because as we begin to look forward, we now begin to, to see uh, what it is that God has to say to us. And I would just say, come with open hearts and minds. Be prayerful next week to hear what God has to say to us clearly. Because remember, we're not members of a club. We're supernatural, all of us are something miraculous has taken place in our hearts and lives and when the church was founded somewhere before 9 a.m. on the 25th of may ad 33 okay it was marked by the absolute supernatural taking place and that supernatural action of the holy spirit continues in the church but are we looking for it are we open to the leading of god in our hearts and lives but what we mustn't do is determine that the holy spirit does it our way okay we have to do it his way as you came to christ so walk in him that's that's our text okay and uh, we look forward to it I, i i am looking forward to it although I, you know, I look out and I think we must have every view represented here possible, okay? Uh, can we stay together? Of course we can. How? Because the Holy Spirit brings unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity, and we're rejoicing in that. Let's just pray briefly, and then uh, we'll sing our closing song. Father, we just pray now that you'd uh, take the words that we've spoken of, which have helped us to understand Babylon. We saw that tongues was a curse. And Jerusalem, at Pentecost, tongues was a blessing. And we continue to seek your blessing in our hearts and in our lives. So go with us, we pray during the course of today and as we meet together this evening to share the gospel with each other, we recognize that what a joy it is to be able to do this. And we pray that as we meet together next week that we would be able to rejoice in learning more of the gift which Paul said that we seek clearly, which the scriptures talk of seeking clearly, these spiritual gifts that work in our hearts and in our lives. And we come, I pray, with expectancy, hearts that are open and we want to delve into your word and find out what it is that may be missing in our lives some of us would say i oh, have no idea what you're talking about pastor just like those 12 guys said to the apostle paul because of incomplete teaching if the church only preaches part of the gospel part of the word of god then we have incomplete people and so we pray lord graciously that you would lead us and help us we ask this in the name